0: It's Wednesday, so you've got me. I'm Carousel Baird. Hey, you can listen to me any day of the week. You can listen online at wrtfm.org, at the A Public Affair podcast, or on the WORT smartphone app. If you like what you hear, click the donate button and support community media. Your donation makes a huge difference. Six six above C level. I grab my mic because I like to take it to another mental level. Low no power frequency radio modulation. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a public affair. It's our first Wednesday show in 2023. Hello and happy new year to everybody. We're very excited to be here. And we are also having our first live guest back in the studio. Remember life before when you got to interact with people face to face? I'm really excited. This is the good omen for a fabulous start for 2023 so thank you everyone for joining us i want to remind you you are listening to wort 89.9 fm madison volunteer powered listener sponsored community radio we are here because you support us so thank you for all that you do and my name again is carousel baird i'm your host today uh every wednesday for a public affair and we are kicking off it is always election season doesn't it always feel like election season well guess what Buck up, everyone. It's election season again. We have fabulous races coming up for the spring elections. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking with a handful of those candidates. And today, kicking off our 2023 conversations, we have here in the studio with us Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes Conway. Hello, Satya.
1: Hi, Carousel. Thanks for having me.
0: It's wonderful to have you. So... Happy New Year.
1: Happy New Year. And
0: you, um, congratulations on finishing uh, finishing up your first term as mayor, and you are running for re-election. Yes. Talk to us about your vision and why
1: you want to run for re-election. Well, you know, so I came into office, I ran on some big, big ideas, right? Housing, affordable housing, transit, climate change, racial equity, and less than a year um, into my term, we were hit by a global pandemic. Mm-hmm. And so we had to pivot and pivot hard um, to take care of our community. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work that we did with public health and with the county. The county exec and I um, worked very closely together with our public health director um, to help keep our community as safe as possible um, and then also to, to try and... Um, help our economy survive <laughs> through the pandemic. Um, but it did mean that a lot of things got put on the back burner. Yeah. Um, and so um, we have tried to pick things up again uh, do a lot of work on affordable housing. Obviously, we just broke ground on our bus rapid transit system. That's very exciting. We're doing a number of things on the climate front, but there is more to do. Um, and I want to keep doing the work uh, for our community. I want to keep working on public safety, on public health, on affordable housing, on uh, equitable equitable economic development, investing in young people. Um, And so I am asking the voters for another term.
0: Well, I want to, first of all, sort of talk about your first term and how and the work that you've done. It was a beacon uh, when there was a global pandemic and utter chaos. And at the time, the president of the United States was not someone that seemed to be uh, someone that, gave a darn about science or reason or we
1: we were a little bit on our own
0: yes yes and the fact that we lived in the city of Madison and in Dane County in a community where not only did we want to work hard but we had some resources more more than you should right we weren't the federal government let's not Mm. pretend to be the federal government but the fact that we were a beacon of of safety and that the website the madison public health website was a place where you could go and get information and knew what was happening yeah talk to me about um what have you heard from people about how how much of a difference the um work that you did in the mayor's office helped during the pandemic
1: well i i think it it made a big difference for folks. And and again, I just want to say that really it was a it was a very tight collaboration between my office, the county executive's office and public health. Mm-hmm. And um, we stayed very close together. Um, there were many, many meetings uh, and where we were trying to figure out what's the best science. What do we need to communicate to people? How do we keep our community safe? and um, and I think it really did make a difference. I think you you look back at the numbers, um I think that Dane County uh, did better than the rest of the state and many other places in the country. And I think we continue to do better. But one of the things that we're doing better on is testing. And so we actually have more data than other places. And that's a, a continual theme throughout the pandemic, I think, is that we knew more about what was going on here than other places did. And that's because we cared. Um, to know what was going on in our community so that we could do our best. Another thing that I would highlight is that that we really tried to support public health in um, not just getting to the usual suspects and not just getting to the people who have the capacity to go get a test or to get a vaccine. Who would
0: easily be first in line. Right,
1: but that we really pushed to get out into the community more and to really work with um, particularly underserved communities, communities of color, and, and make sure that they had the information that they needed, that they had access first to testing, to masks, and then to vaccines. Um, so that we weren't, I mean, we did see disparities uh, throughout the course of the pandemic. We saw that everywhere, but we tried our best to to narrow those disparities here in Madison and Dane County by really working thoughtfully uh, with folks in the community to make sure that folks could access the services that they needed.
0: Well, and I think a key to that is not just to have these great services, but to acknowledge that out there in the community, there's disinformation yes. and the way to solve it is uh, sometimes literally one on one conversations, and that That's right. public health was out there in the community talking to people, building relationships yes. so that questions could be answered, and it wasn't just things you read on the internet, which was all we had were things we read right. on the internet we were all stuck in our home right but to build those relationships i yeah, know the
1: relationships were key and the fact that 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 public health had pre-existing relationships with community groups um uh, helped obviously but then that they really consciously worked um to support and even to fund groups in our community um to talk about Uh, You know, good information on vaccination, and to um, to like you said, to have those one-on-one conversations, I think was really important. You know, the other thing that I think is important that we did is is really look at um, you know our economy. Um, f- like flipped a switch, right, and everybody right. stayed home, and um, and so we really had to look at how are we supporting our small businesses, how are we supporting our service industry, and um, you know a lot of that came through federal money that that the county and then the city was able to disperse and support people, um, but some of it came through things like the streetery program and and really doubling down on outdoor dining in Madison and and even into the winter time, and that's that program was enormously popular and w- yes. you know we stood it up really quickly um, because we were in an emergency but we have since transformed it to be a permanent program um, and are looking at ways to continue to grow that because it was so popular and it supported um, small and local businesses.
0: Talk to me about that I mean I think that's the conversation that comes out of the pandemic as we we come out of it all these years now how do we support businesses especially that were struggling i mean i, I along with so many other people I, I used to work downtown and i was here yeah. all the time and i can t- i can tell you all my favorite restaurants that i would go to and you know we were talking about smoothies before we started. I used to get my smoothie twice a week from Michelangelo's and I just think about, God, I never, get yeah. some, I'm never there anymore. And all of those things that everyone had and, and how do you, so how do you support businesses? How do you support downtown? And then how does that work with also acknowledging that sometimes you need a, a vibrant downtown, but we also need to acknowledge the importance of all our neighborhoods and communities yes. in supporting everyone?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that, I think a couple things first of all um it's I think it's still a little too soon to think that we're sort of quote out of the pandemic right COVID's still around yes right and I think that that we
0: wore our masks on the way into the studio that's right yes
1: um and uh, but I I do think that um you know we we're not in an equilibrium yet in terms of how many people may come back to the office um, sort of shaking out what what the work from home versus right. work from office situation is. I don't think we're in an equilibrium yet there. Um,
0: you don't think we're at the end? You think more people will be coming downtown?
1: I am hopeful that, I mean, I think, first of all, Madison's downtown, I think, is doing better than many. Um, you know, traveling around the country, I, you know, I think that we have more people back downtown um, than other downtowns do. And so that's great. Um, but I, I also think that we're, we haven't quite settled out, you know, where we're going to be in the long term in terms of offices downtown. Um, keeping in that long term, I think one thing is to, to think about more housing. Downtown, and you know, there's a lot of conversation about conversion of office buildings. And I don't know, you know, that's a it's, it's an expensive prospect. I think we will see some of that. I don't know if all of it will be downtown, but I do think it's important for us to think about um, a, a mix of land uses downtown, so that we do have more housing. We do think about more service based businesses, um, certainly retail. Um, continue to. You know, tourism continues to be a really important part of our economy downtown. um, In addition to the sort of office economy, Um, and then I think we need to support the businesses that did used to rely on uh, the sort of office economy um, in. Figuring out ways to to reach folks who are not coming into the office every day, and so some of that is, you know, certainly through the delivery. And we've looked at how do we use use the curb space, and how do we make it easier mm-hmm. for delivery vehicles, and how do we make it easier for pickup. The streetery question. So it, I think experience is going to be a lot more important that people come downtown because they want to have a specific experience, and so we need to lean into that. I think the events downtown are going to continue to be really important in activating, um, and we need to figure out how having events downtown benefits not just the folks that are at the event, but also benefits the existing businesses that are downtown. And so I think there's a lot there that that is still to be done. And What we have focused on right now, um, particularly in terms of the uh, downtown area, is uh, we have a new program. That is based on our facade improvement grant. It's a commercial improvement grant that's available for businesses to help with uh, building out their space or making improvements in their space um, to help them, um, you know, reach a new customer base or you know, spiff off their storefront or whatever it might be. Um, we're also uh, developing a downtown tax in, um, increment district, uh, so that we'll have more funding available to specifically help with. So some of the more bricks and mortar stuff downtown, um, but also some programming to do a little more planning and to work with downtown stakeholders like downtown Madison, Inc. And make sure that we are really figuring out how to get storefronts filled downtown Mm -hmm. and to support local businesses, particularly local businesses owned by um, underrepresented business owners, women, people of color, veterans, et cetera.
0: We're talking right now with Madison's mayor, Sacha Rhodes-Conway. She's running for re-election. The uh, uh, primaries coming up in February, the general election in April. We'd love to have you join the conversation. If you have a question or comment for Sacha, we'd love to hear it. Give us a call at area code 608. Two five six two zero zero one. 256 2001 Mary Jo is ready to take your calls and we have Jade and Andrew in the studio and they can patch you through. You can also pass a message on to them if you don't want to have your voice live on the air and I can take your question that way. But we'd love to hear from you at area code 608-256-2001. Okay, let's focus now on You know the plans that you had um, that were thwarted a little, but are already moving forward. Let's talk about affordable housing. Yeah, Um, the affordable housing fund is at ten million now. Yeah, and it's
1: more than doubled from when I came into office. When you started, yeah.
0: What role does affordable housing, um, the affordable housing fund, have in facilitating affordable housing? It's so challenging to think about what government can and really I feel like can't. Do talk to us yeah. about the importance of that funding.
1: Um, well, I think it's it's enormously important, but but I want to take a step back because it, it, we really are in a housing crisis in Madison. And, yes. um and I think it's important to sort of understand the contours of that crisis. And and at the base, um, you know, Madison is a growing city. That's a good thing, yes. right? Uh, but we have got to accommodate that growth in our housing market, and for years we failed to do that. We were not producing enough housing units to keep up with population growth. And we definitely weren't producing enough affordable housing units. So um, the numbers that that we have are that we, as of sort of last year, and and we don't have the final end of year numbers yet, but we needed about 4,000 rental housing units to be at a, a healthy rental market, a healthy vacancy rate, which is, uh, you know, between, I, I like to say it's between five and six percent because that tips it a little bit more to the tenant versus tipping it towards the landlord. And I think that's important. Percentage um,
0: of vacancy. Yeah, percent
1: vacancy, and, that's right.
0: And we're <laughs> around two and three number? We are yeah, in the two
1: to three percent range right and now. And that's,
0: I feel like that's where we've always been though.
1: Well, we, it's been, it, we, it was getting worse, let's say. And we are sort of trying to to move the needle backwards. But but so 4,000 units just to be in a healthy state and then 1,000 to 2,000 a year to keep up with our projected population growth, that's a lot of growth. And so, um, you know, some of that... Uh, is going to need to be subsidized affordable housing. Some of it is going to need to be market rate housing. And so we've been trying to use all of the tools that are available to local governments to produce more housing, both rental and ownership, and to specifically produce affordable housing. And so the importance of the Affordable Housing Fund is that it is the source that we can use to subsidize affordability. Um, and the way that we have most used it is in um, conjunction with federal tax credits so that we will okay. support projects that are applying to the state for federal tax credits. And uh, our support um, gives them points on their application so that they're more likely to get a tax credit. Um, and then they can put our money, often money from the county, that tax credit money, um, and you know all of their, the rest of their capital stack together to build housing that's affordable for folks in the sort of 40 to 60 percent area median income range, um, which is really important. It's, we've been very successful. Um, we were using that tool before I came into office. We've continued to use it. It's been very successful. It's produced a lot of affordable housing for us. It's not enough. Right. We need to be doing more. We need to be um, creating more housing that is affordable at uh, 30 percent AMI and lower. Um, And we need to have services to accompany that. And we also, frankly, need to be creating housing that's affordable to the sort of 80 to 120 percent AMI. Um, And we need to really focus on affordable ownership, which is more difficult to do, uh, oddly, than um, affordable rental.
0: Why is that important, to make sure that there's affordable ownership instead of affordable rental?
1: So I I wouldn't say instead Instead of. of, I would say both. As
0: well as. Right, as well as. And
1: I I think it's really important because what we're hearing um, anecdotally and what we see in the – The ownership market is that it's actually tighter right now than the rental market. It is harder to find that first home, that starter home, people who want to move into ownership. Uh, There's almost nothing out there for them. And so people are having to leave Madison if they want to own. Um, And we are starting to see the impact on businesses as well, where folks want to come and work for someplace in Madison, but look at the housing market and say, I cannot afford to buy. And so it's really important for work from a workforce perspective, from an economic development perspective, but also from a wealth bi- building perspective, because you like it or not, homeownership is is a path to generational wealth building. Yes. And um, we need to keep that available for folks in our community. And right now, right now, it's it's really not available for everybody.
0: Well, and it also creates, you know, family stability on a level. Yes. Right. Every every day, every week I'm in eviction court and and. Right. Uh, some of those people have a lot of challenges, but some of the situations are you had a year lease and your lease is up and it's right. time to move on. Right, and and if folks can afford level. to
1: own, um, you know that's it's not for everyone, but it's certainly a, a good option for folks. And and I, I, you know, we need to have that. The baseline for me is that. I think we need to be creating housing choices for people in every neighborhood in Madison, right? That that people should have the option to rent, they should have the option to buy, they should have the option to stay in their home, if that's what they want, in every neighborhood in Madison. And that means that we have to create a, a lot more housing stock in those sort of various types of housing um, that allow people to have those choices.
0: And. What are some of the other tools then that the city can have besides the affordable housing fund which you know it's great to hear how much you've built it up since the start um of your term what are other tools are there zoning are there policies Yeah
1: yeah absolutely so there's um you know first that one thing that folks I think forget about often is is public housing um which is supported by the federal government um, but we but it's run locally and so we're in the process of uh, working through um, redeveloping the triangle public housing and we'll be adding density there so we'll be adding housing units Um, and then we're going to be repositioning our entire portfolio over the course of multiple years Um, it's an opportunity for us to provide housing for very low income folks um, but also to add units um, and it's much more in our control Mm. um, which is you know that's we don't have to rely on the market to provide it so it can be more sustainable, it can be more healthy, it can be family friendly. I mean, there's a lot of opportunity when it's more in our control. So that's one thing. The other thing that we're doing um, is we're using land banking um, and we've we've increased pretty dramatically um, the amount of money that we put towards it. So it's, it's when the city actually literally buys land okay. um, and repositions it for a public good. And so often what we're doing is buying land and then... Um, you know, doing a, a request for proposals, RFPing it out and asking a partner, we want to have um, parking here. We want to have a grocery store here. We want to have affordable housing here. We want to have, you know, whatever it might be. And so an example of this is at Judge Joe Square, where we have now on top of a city owned parking garage, we have a lot of new housing. Yes, um, And that is something that, that we provided the land for and worked with a developer to create uh, new housing and some new affordable housing. And so I think you, you continue to see that pattern around the city. In particular, we're trying to focus on places where we want to make sure that we're preserving the option for affordability. And so a lot of that is around um, where we're going to have high-frequency transit. Um, so that's another tool that we use is is transit-oriented density and transit-oriented design. Um, uh, we're also looking at, yes, zoning, um, making it easier to build housing by right, making it easier to do um, accessory dwelling units, which most people think of as um, like a backyard cottage or a granny flat, um, so that maybe you know you can have three generations living right. in the same home
0: one space can hold more people right, now.
1: Right. So you can. And this is, you know, this is, again, going back to the idea of housing choice in every neighborhood. Um, it's not that every neighborhood needs to have, uh, you know, 100 unit apartment building. That would not be appropriate for some neighborhoods. But some neighborhoods, it might be appropriate to have a bunch of backyard cottages. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, or to have some townhomes or to have some two flats or, you know. And so we, we really need to be um, making it easier to do those things mostly through zoning um, in each of our neighborhoods and um, so there's that's the work that we're doing to to both provide the sort of land use planning zoning approval process that allows the creation of housing and uh, but then also the the public funding uh, that allows us to leverage more public funding and private funding to create specifically uh, income restricted affordable housing
0: We're talking right now with Madison Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway about her uh, completion of her first four-year term in office, and she's running for re-election. We have a handful of callers that are joining us. Very excited for that. Dan, I know you've been waiting for a second. Um, You want to talk about bus rapid transit, which is awesome, because that's next on my list. So kick off the topic for us. Dan, what are you thinking?
2: Ah, thank you. I am one of those people who was, in fact, forced out of Madison by the high rent, so I had Appreciate anything the mayor can do along those lines, but um, did want to address the bus rapid transit issue because I was astonished to hear the mayor mention it, and I hope I heard this right that Madison has just broken ground on bus rapid transit. I'm amazed because I can remember the many Madisonian transit plans that came to naught Uh, back in 1986. Taxi 2000 was the buzz that never came to anything. So, oh, and I'm also. Um, incredulous because it seemed like only a couple of years ago, the posters were appearing on state street on the part of some merchants expressing opposition to this plan. So, If I heard you right, how on earth did you get this done so short of time?
1: Uh, Well, thank you for the question. Um, And yes, it's true. Um, Rapid transit has been decades in the making in uh, the Madison region. And every time that it seemed like we might get there, um, frankly, you know, we let the perfect be the enemy of the good. And uh, we didn't get transit. But this time, um, you know, I through a combination of factors including the fact that i ran on it and um, was determined to get it done and um, we did break down uh, break ground on our bus rapid transit system the first line which is the east west line it'll run um, along uh, um, east wash uh, out to some prairie and then um, around university and end up at west town mall um, and, and in fact we hope to get to middleton as well um, and uh, the we worked through a uh, you know, lots of questions about the routing. We worked through lots of questions about the stations and um, the the uh, frequency and, you know, getting signal priority and dedicated lanes. And um, and the council, um, to their credit, at the end of the day has approved the system. We have significant yes. millions and millions of dollars from the federal government that are going to make this happen. Um, in fact, uh, we got Uh, Extra money from the federal government to make sure that the buses will be all electric, which I'm very excited about Um, and uh, work is underway. Um, so we'll start to see that roll out next year with the full implementation coming in 2024. Uh, the next step there is for us to work on the north south line, um, which I think is very important for us um, to get into uh, some of the north side neighborhoods and some of the south side neighborhoods with rapid transit. And um, we're looking at, you know, Packers, Sherman, Park Street, um, making sure, and then uh, I think also would love to have the conversation about connecting into Fitchburg and Verona and really making sure that this is um, something that serves the region.
0: Right. Right. That it has a regional aspect to it. Yeah. Talk to us about, um, uh, I know Dan had touched on the challenges, um, particularly vocal from uh, some of the business owners on state street. Talk to us about work working to get to this point.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it was, it was, A conversation that started actually before I came into office um, and uh, looking at routing and um, looking at what a a BRT system might look like. And, um, you know, I really picked it up and made it a top priority. And so staff have done amazing work to to get to where we are. But there were a lot of questions about just where do you put transit? And and my philosophy is you put transit where people want to go and you have transit that brings people to the front door of where they want to go, Um, and that transit should be um, a primary mode of transportation in our community, uh, particularly given that we're on an isthmus and and, um, you know, our opportunity growing there's right, right. limited
0: options. That's right. We
1: can't like East Washington's not getting any wider. So right. um, we really do need um, even for folks that are never going to step on a bus in their lifetime and are only ever going to drive. And um, they need people to use transit so that there is less congestion and um, on a place like East Washington or university or, or whatever it might be. Um, so, you know, I think there was a lot of conversation about, um, how much, if any of state street rapid transit should be on. There's a lot of conversation about, um, what the stations should look like. And, and you know, we made a, a lot of changes, um, over the course. And, um, but I, at the end of the day felt like it's really important for transit to, to get people where they want to go and people want to come downtown.
0: Yeah. We have Kate, Kate, you've been holding for a few minutes here. Thanks so much for waiting. You had a question about affordable housing or accessible housing. Well, I'd like housing that is both affordable and accessible. That sounds I, good. Um, my friends who ha- are in wheelchairs, they have horrible times finding um, yeah. places to live. And once they get there, people aren't very uh, they don't work well with people because they know that people don't have any other options. And I have to say, I was so disappointed to drive by Triangle Street and see, you know, all those stairs, 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 stair,
2: stairs leading up to the new apartments.
1: Yeah, Kate, so this is a huge really- issue. I mean, so I want to point out first that the, the new um, developments that you're seeing going up in, in the Triangle are Bayview. Um, so that's not the CDA housing at this point. We're still in planning on the CDA housing, Um, but uh, you're absolutely right. This is a huge challenge in our community, and and one of the the biggest problems here is that uh, local governments are completely preempted by the state uh, in our ability to to do anything on the building code and hmm. um, so i would love to have higher standards around a number of things including not just accessibility um, but visible visitability so that that um, new units are, are visitable with uh, for people who have mobility issues and um, i i will say i have seen some um some small but I think significant efforts by local developers to really take accessibility into account in new construction it is not everyone yet uh, it should be um, but uh, there is some small progress here uh, but I completely agree that um, that we need new construction to be fundamentally accessible and um, I, you know it's a it's a difficult thing for the city to require um, because of state preemption. Um, but we certainly uh, can encourage.
0: Thanks to both Dan and Kate for joining the conversation. We would love to hear you. If you want to call in, give us a call at area code 608-256-2001. right, um, okay, Sacha, let's talk about criminal justice and public safety. Um, not only was there a pandemic during your first term, but there was a international Uh, public protest Black Lives Matter that certainly was present here in Madison how do you um, balance that the need of the public to feel safe in our community with the need of the public to also want some level of police involvement and the whole balance of that how do you work that out
1: well the the thing that you left out that also happened is that during the pandemic um, certain types of crime got worse in uh, almost every city across the country everywhere right Um, and so I think every city saw rising rates of gun violence uh, increases in stolen cars um, and we experienced that here in Madison as well Um, and I will note that um we, you know, we watch these things, and in most cities, those trajectories are continuing to get worse. In Madison, I think we are starting to reverse some of those numbers. Let me be clear. Any incident of gun violence is unacceptable in our city. Any stolen car is unacceptable in our city. But it is true, and um, the chief just uh, did a briefing on this, and I think we'll be doing another one soon, that we actually have seen shots fired reduced by over 20% um, in the last year. So... I think the work that we're doing is, is having an effect um, and we need to keep doing it um, but to your question um, you know, it has been a very difficult balance because we, uh, we went from a time in which um, there was frankly very little community support for the police to a time when it, the majority of what we're hearing now in City Hall is that we need more police and that we need to crack down on crime and so that's uh, a little bit of whiplash. <laughs> wow! Yeah, um, and um, and difficult to navigate. Uh, you know, I think that, um, as is usually true, uh, what we really need to do is somewhere in the middle. And what I've said from the beginning, what I continue to believe, is that there are some things that we need a police department for. And particularly, I believe that's to deal with gun violence, violent crime, um, stolen cars, that kind of thing. There are other things that the police are not well equipped to do. And so one of those things is to deal with mental health crises and behavioral health crises. And that's why we started the CARES teams, which is a team of a community paramedic and a mental health worker. We now have Two vehicles. They're out of two different locations, um, and they're dispatched by nine one one to nonviolent behavioral crisis uh, situations. And they're able to spend time with people. They take a patient-centered approach, um, and they've been very successful in connecting people to care and services that they may need as a result of those crisis events. Well,
0: and. This is so important. This has been a conversation. I know you've been part of these conversations, right? I was on the county board forever where we're talking about how to reduce our, you know, incarceration rates and all those numbers. And there has been a conversation for decades, literally, I'm not exaggerating, about um, providing better mental health support. And you were able to get that done during your term. What do you think sort of helped align the the forces to, to move that forward? Well,
1: Actually, I think that the Black Lives Matter movement really helped to provide the context in which we could say we need to start looking at what we're asking police to do and whether or not they're equipped to do it. Right. Um, And so I think that helped. But I think it also helped. We had a, a fire chief who was very enthusiastic about the concept. We had some leadership on the council. Former Alder Arvina Martin was was instrumental in making this happen. Um, and so the, the stars really did align um, for us to be able to put some funding toward this to show success. Um, and then, you know, we've had gone through, I think, three or four different expansions of the service already. We have two more planned for 2023, and we're going to continue to watch the data. And I think there's a lot of potential here. But it's not the only thing that we've done um, on that front. And One of the things that I did early on was I moved parking enforcement from the police department into the parking division where it belongs. Um, and so we, we're starting to look at what are the functions that police are actually well equipped to do and to support them in doing that. Yes. And what are the functions that we need different services to do? And, um, and that, Con- that conversation continues, and I think will continue. Um, if the voters give me a second term, I uh, will continue to look at how do we um, really have the most effective municipal tool for the challenges our community is facing.
0: And how do you address violent crimes? What what are solutions that we have um, there?
1: So I think again, here you need to take a multi layered approach. Um, I. Particularly with respect to gun violence, I think that we need a public health approach to gun violence, and yes. um, and but at the same time, you know, when shots fired are occurring in our community, that doesn't mean that the police shouldn't show up, right? Like we we need a police response in the moment, but we also need to be thinking long term um, about how do we actually work on the root causes. The root causes
0: violence. why right. why it's gotten to this level of desperation, right? Right,
1: right. and so you know, baseline. Um, We are a country that um, allows much greater access to guns um, than other countries in the world. I think that has a very strong relationship to the amount of gun violence we see. Um, I believe that we need common sense gun laws at the federal level. I think the chances of us seeing them are small. Um, So, you know, we're going to continue to do what we can at the local level. And that's Again, a twofold response. One is what the police department is doing now. The chief has um, has made, I think, a really big difference um, in focusing in on traffic violence, on gun violence and on stolen cars. And um, and uh, as I said earlier, we're seeing improvements in all three of those categories and more to come. And um, we also need to um, focus on the work that is being done out of the Violence Prevention Unit in Public Health. And that is a much longer term, evidence based um, investment strategy. We've dedicated over a million dollars to it. Um, and they are working, there's a, um, a group of community organizations, and um, we've produced a, a violence reduction roadmap and that folks can see on the public health website. And we're continuing to invest in the kinds of community services youth employment, youth programming, support uh, for folks experiencing domestic violence. I mean, as you sort of go down the list, and there's a number of places where we're making investments that in a way that we know will reduce violence in our community in the long term. And, and it's important, I think, for us to be doing both of those things yes. and be doing them together and for the police department and public health and the violence prevention unit to be working hand in glove. And they are. Under my administration, we've started meeting with them every other week. Leadership from the police department, leadership from public health, leadership from community services. Get everyone in the same room. Everybody in the same room to make sure that we are all focusing on what we can do to reduce and prevent violence in our community.
0: I want to touch just really quickly, there's so much to get to, but on um, traffic safety. Yeah. I really appreciate um, the sort of what is it the, the zero vision zero vision zero thank yeah. you thank you talk to me about how um you're working on that it's for those of us perhaps in right in our safe communities here in madison that haven't been touched by all of these things i feel that everybody has been touched by people driving way too fast yeah. way too recklessly again a national problem yes. during the pandemic but a solution is coming out of madison here
1: yeah, and I think we've been having an impact. Um, you know, Vision Zero is really a, a, a commitment for us to end traffic fatalities and uh, serious injury crashes by 2030. And we are using every tool in the toolbox. So we're using enforcement, yes, but we're using education, we're using engineering, um, and we're really looking at, um, you know, looking at the data. Where are we seeing crashes? Where are we seeing injury crashes? And what do we need to do in that place as an intervention? And so, some of it is speed limit reduction, which actually has been having a, a pretty significant impact. I know people are skeptical, people, right? Who um, pays attention
0: to the speed limit? But right. they do.
1: But people do, and and um, even if people are not going the speed limit, everybody's got that number of miles over the speed limit right. that you're willing to go, right? And so, it we we actually are seeing speeds shift downward. Um, in some of the the um, corridors where we have the most concern, and um, we're also using engineering interventions, which can literally mean changing the pavement. Um, it also can mean like the the rapid flashing beacons for pedestrians or other things to um, to slow cars down through engineering. Um, and we're using education. You'll see on the buses, um, there's a number of uh, Vision Zero ads out there um, that are trying to raise awareness, and there's a, a bunch of other work that they're doing as well. But, but it, it, I think to, to your point, um, this is something that touches many people's lives in Madison, and, and more people are Everybody's. impacted by traffic crashes than many other things, including gun violence. Yeah, And um, so it is important for us to prioritize this work um, and to keep our streets safe for everyone.
0: Talk to us about youth support. I know you've touched on it a little bit, and you had said that that's a vision that um, you want to work on in, in your next term. How yeah. do we support the youth of Madison?
1: Yeah, so this is really important to me because I think that our young people were um, probably the group that was most impacted by the pandemic um, in terms of, um, you know, school shutting down, going online, the level of isolation, and the level of isolation that folks experienced, I think was very difficult for young people. And, um, and so uh, we have been yes. trying to, um, to you using uh, federal money using ARPA dollars, we have been trying to invest in programming for young people invest in um, programs that help connect them to each other to the community, and um, to employment opportunities, um, to positive uh, activities that can Uh, Help overcome some of that pandemic isolation, but also make sure that folks, uh, young people are are, um, connected to opportunities in our community. And and that's really important to me. And we've uh, you know, we did some uh, last summer. We have plans for this coming summer. Um, But I think it's really important for us to be supporting young people and. in not just in um, their sort of employment and sort of on the economic side, but also in terms of their social, emotional health um, and in terms of their opportunity to connect with their community. And we've been working um, with the school district. One of the things that we stood up during the pandemic is a regular meeting with leaders from um, the city, the county, public health, the school district district. Um, uh, UW, uh, Madison, and then uh, local hospitals to just be talking with each other in the United Way, to just be talking with each other about what's going on in our community and um, what we need to be focusing on um, to support folks.
0: Talk to us about how to support um immigrant communities and Mm. um, communities of color how do you make sure that they feel welcomed in madison and uh, part of the conversation that's happening
1: yeah that's a great question there's a lot of work to do here um uh, you know on a number of fronts um we have invested um i was particularly concerned during the pandemic uh, about folks that um, might lack documentation um, and might feel like either might actually be ineligible for pandemic aid or might feel like they were ineligible. And so we did dedicate a a pretty significant amount of money um, to organizations that work with immigrant communities here in Madison to make sure that they were able to support some basic needs around housing, around food access, Um, about uh, medical care during the pandemic. And I think that was really important. Um, But I think in the longer term, we need, I mean, there's a lot of work to do at the federal level, right? You know, we can't have an immigration policy at the city of Madison. We need the federal government to act on this. Um, But I think that, that we need to keep partnering with some of the really amazing organizations Centro Hispano comes to mind, the African um, Center for Community Development comes to mind, that are working with immigrant communities here to make sure that they have a path uh, towards documentation, uh, but also to make sure that they have a path towards um, sort of economic stability, housing stability, the things that people need to to succeed in our community.
0: Well, and this gets me thinking about, I mean, you were on the city council before you became mayor, was on the county board, and so many times, when there are public hearings, um, you hear the voices that it, it it sort of echoes your comments about um uh during the COVID pandemic. We you know the right. people that are the gonna show up. The most likely suspects show up, yeah. That are that yeah. feel empowered yeah. wonderfully so, if feel empowered to uh that their voice matters and they yeah. have something to say and they, they want to share it. That's a good thing. But how do you make sure that communities like communities of color, like immigrant communities that don't know the process, don't even yeah. have time. They have so much on yeah. their plate. They don't even yeah. care what the That's process right. is. Yeah. How do you make sure their voices are heard when you're making policy decisions? Yeah, this is,
1: this is absolutely critical. Um, and, and thank you for, for coming back to the question. I think that um, we have started over the past four years um to, Uh, really make sure when we are wrestling with big questions in city policy, that we are not just turning towards the sort of community meeting or public hearing model for input, but that we are specifically working with community-based organizations and, um, and in fact, sometimes funding them um, to help us do that outreach and make sure that those voices are heard in the city process.
0: We have Dawn on the line. Dawn, thanks for uh, joining us. Do you want to talk about Vision Zero? Yep, sorry, we're kind of
1: going back to No that. problem, that's this, fine. This, this program this is great. I
0: really appreciate the public service of WRT for this, and thank you for the mayor for joining you. So Vision Zero, it's great, you know, for that downtown area, that
1: corridor where there's a lot of traffic and a lot of people, but I'm on the north side in a residential neighborhood, and I've been fighting for at least, eight years to get traffic calming on my street Hmm. it's a through street it's too wide for what you know
0: it should be and I I'm not getting anywhere I was told by the city and here's my question that they were going to go to 20 miles per hour on every residential street this fall um can you comment on that and maybe that's something for the traffic folks but I'm just not getting anywhere Mayor, thank you very
1: much. Yeah, thanks, John, and thanks for your advocacy. Um, we so yes, we are moving towards 20 is plenty, uh, all across the city in, in residential neighborhoods, and um, we did that in a, a couple of neighborhoods last year, and we'll be rolling it out to more neighborhoods this year. Um, so, so stay tuned on that front. Um, but specifically to your traffic calming question, um, it, you would Well, maybe you wouldn't be surprised at how many neighborhoods uh, are asking for some sort of traffic calming. And um, we we get, I would say, hundreds more requests every year than than we can get to Mm. um, with the funding that's available. So. I know that's uh, very hard to hear, but unfortunately true. Now, the good news is, and keep your fingers crossed for us, we have applied for a significant amount of federal funding that would go towards um, clearing some of the backlog um, of these requests to make our streets and our neighborhoods safer. Um, and, you know, we're going to continue to invest on the um, on the city side, but we're going to also continue to try and leverage federal funding so that we can um, make more progress into neighborhoods like yours, Dawn, And 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 keep our streets safer. We also just adopted last night at council um, a complete green streets policy, which will make sure that when we're building new streets or when we're going back and reconstructing existing streets, that we pay more attention to safety, among other things Mm. in that process. And so hopefully streets that are too wide um, will be able to narrow down, slowing down the traffic, making more room for people, trees rain gardens, whatever it might be in that particular neighborhood.
0: I love the idea of, you know, it's almost the backwards idea. Oh, bigger streets, bigger everything, bigger city. Let's grow, grow, grow. And yes, let's grow, but smaller streets can be part of the solution. Well, we got to we, we got to grow
1: in a way that, that is focused on human beings.
0: Right, right. We have one more caller that I think we still have time for. Terry, you had a question that you wanted to ask the mayor. What do you have?
2: Yeah, all right. Hey. Uh, I got a couple of things. We talk about low-income housing, and yet we forget about seniors. When we have a wheel tax, a 6% increase in property tax, uh, trash fees. You're putting low-income people out of their homes who have been in them for years. So we're talking to BRT. For instance, I can't take the bus I took for 29 years to work because it no longer runs. So I had to buy another car, which now my spouse and I have to pay double wheel tax. The buses don't come close enough. Seniors who use these buses, which I did for years, now have to go much, much farther to get there, and they can't actually use them. And and as you talk about what Madison's response to the COVID, and I recall Madison and the county screaming at the university should have been closed down. Well, the numbers you're using for how great the vaccination rates were were 95% at the university. So let's not take credit for things you haven't done, and please do things to keep seniors in their homes and able to get around the city.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Thanks, Terry. So um, first of all, just on your commute, Metro would be happy to help you figure out um, if there's an easy way for you to to get back on the bus. Uh, We certainly encourage that. But um, let me talk to the, the sort of underlying question of Helping um, fixed or low-income homeowners who uh, who want to stay in their homes to stay in their homes. And, How do
0: we make everything affordable?
1: Right. So that's a it's a very um, it, uh, relevant and good question. Um, we do have some programs that are available for seniors who want to stay in their homes, um, but uh, we also are are about to roll out a first in the state program that will uh, help low-income households get a discount on their municipal utility bill. So this is what people mostly think of as the water bill, but it actually contains a lot of other municipal charges on it. And So I'm very excited about this. This is going to help folks um, save up to 30% of that bill, Um, and I think it will help some of our fixed-income homeowners. Um, But there's no question that the we are in a little bit of a bind at the local level. We have to put a lot on the property tax because the state literally gives us no other revenue options. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I'm hopeful for this year is that the, um, the governor and the legislature will actually come together and fix shared revenue at the state level, um, allowing cities like Madison and, and all across uh, the state to have more options uh, on revenue so that we don't have to put as much on the property tax.
0: Mayor, we only have a few more minutes. There was one topic I, we we didn't get to at all. Can you, if you can, give a quick answer? I know these are all (laughs) detailed um, about climate change. I know that you're a leader on that, and you know clean air, clean water, clean energy, so important and vital to Madison. I love that we still live in a city where I drink the tap water uh, every day. Me too. Uh, So talk to us about some leadership things that you can work on to improve the environment?
1: Yeah, so uh, there's a lot of work that we've done on climate. Um, We're at about 75% uh, renewable energy for city use. Um, and a lot of that is through solar that we've installed on in our own buildings. Um, we're going to get to 100% um, in the next couple of years, um, and we're going to keep on doubling down on solar. We're going to um, we're working on electrifying our fleet. Um, we're working on biodiesel for the things that we can't electrify in our fleet. Um, the new uh, Triangle uh, redevelopment, um, I've. Um, pushing for that to be the most sustainable public housing in the country um, and okay. uh, you know we're going to continue to work on making solar and energy efficiency available for our community as much as possible and um, we can't wait on the climate front um, we all have to be doing as much as we can and, and so city government is going to do what we can for our operations but we're also going to support our community in being able to make the right choices um, for, for private buildings, private fi- vehicles, etc.
0: Well, it's been wonderful having you here, talking about, there's so much to talk about. I really appreciate you joining us and, you know, really giving some detailed answers to my all the things that you're working on. If people want to learn more about the work that you're doing um, and more about your re-election campaign. How can they find out?
1: Yeah, so so two places to, to go on the city side. I invite folks to go to cityofmadison.com slash mayor and check out the blog and the news releases there. Um, on the campaign side, please visit satya dot com. That's S-A-T-Y-A-F-O-R madison.com to find out more about the campaign. Um, very excited to go into the new year and uh, certainly uh, would ask everybody for your support and your vote in February in April.
0: Well, again, it's been wonderful to have you. Thanks for sharing all the great work that you're doing and best of luck on the campaign trail.
1: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
0: That was Mayor Satya Rhodes-Conway. She is the current Madison mayor, finishing up her first term and running for re-election. I want to thank everyone for joining us today. I want to thank uh, Engineer Andrew for filling in. Thank you, woohoo, Andrew. Thank you, Jade, uh, for producing. Shali, our news director. Mary Jo, for staffing the phones. It's been wonderful talking with the mayor and we will continue our conversation next week with um, additional candidates running for Madison's mayor. Thanks, everyone, for listening and we'll see you again Next week Live we come and never pre-recorded with information that would never be reported. Disregard the main street, media disported. We come and listen and support it. Live in the wreck, we come and never pre-recorded. With information that would never be reported. Disregard the mainstream, media distorted.